Welcome to VC for Stupid Idiots. We are your idiots, Marianne, Michelle, and Francesco from NomadicMinds.Capital. Here, we interview the best investors on the planet to learn their secrets and tell them a lot of bad jokes. Then, we use their knowledge to invest in emerging market startups. Because this is the most effective way to lift people out of poverty and make outstanding returns. If you want to see what we are investing in this week, please join us at nomadicminds.capital. Hello and welcome to another episode of VCs for Stupid Idiots. (laughs) As always, we are the Stupid Idiots and we have a superstar guest with us. Uh, Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to where you are today? Sure. So uh, thanks, Marianne. Thanks, Francesco. It's great to be here. Oh, pleasure. I'm a startup entrepreneur. I've built and sold uh, either as an operator or as a chairman and board member, uh, seven seven good exits so far. I've been investing in startups, uh, both directly and, and through a small investment company that I operate for about 15 years, mostly in, in cybersecurity. Uh, recently, that involves blockchain as well, some IoT, things like that. Got it. So that's how we promise. So we're going to have 15 minutes. That's how we're probably going to go. So we're going to ask you a question. It would be great if you could answer with our a sentence or a word, like super fast answers. And then obviously we will ask you to think more on the things that are interesting. There will be some awful jokes in the meantime. And so first question, why are you successful? No, they want to, why you are successful, I'm not. Not, not specifically me, why, or why other people are not successful? I, I, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. I mean, I I, uh, I, I studied something that's useless, so it's not, it doesn't come from that. I, I, I'm a mathematical logician by training, and uh, that's more or less uh, the most useless thing you can study. I've always been interested, I've always been excited, and I've always done things that I love doing. So maybe that's why. Got it. And do you have any specific thing that you kept seeing during your seven exits? So any kind of common trait that every comp- every one of those companies had? Well, so the first thing to say is that of the seven exits, there are one or two that I think we could have had a better outcome. And so one way to think about this question is how do I differentiate the five great ones from the two that are less great? And I think it comes down to the people. I think it comes down to, is it a team that really gels, that really works together, that really has what it takes to make this work? Something missing, or is there someone who maybe yes. doesn't quite belong? And I think it's all what do you look for in a team? Uh, smart, passionate, coachable. Yes. Uh, if someone comes into this thinking they already know everything about what this business should be, they're guaranteed to be wrong. I'm, I've been wrong every time I started a company, and fortunately, I've been able to adapt and pivot and, and learn as we go and, and have some good outcomes. Someone who starts thinking they know all the answers just isn't listening to the market. So that that's a big danger. Yeah, so this reminds me of that story of my friend Dave, David, actually. He lost his ID, and now it's called Dove. Anyway, uh, going back on us, um, did you get it? No, probably I didn't. Dev. Uh, that was a joke? Lost yeah, he lost. I, I heard he lost his ID, and now he's Dav. But um, yeah, okay. David or lost ID, and now he's Dav. And okay, okay. anyway, okay, <laughs> let's ignore these. And so, how <laughs> do you? So, I had a, you know, I had a joke about boxing, but I forgot the punchline. Okay, that's. Oh, it. that's. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, uh, 
I also have a lot of jokes about unemployment, but uh, they don't work. Uh, so uh, going back on us, uh, my question is, we are the, the idiots, okay? And you're the VC. Teach us how we can understand if our founder is coachable or not, given that it's so important. Well, it, it's hard. I mean, the, the, I don't think there's any shortcut there. You, you've got to have some conversations. You've got to see, are they, you know, are they... Are they updating their thinking when when new information arrives? Uh, if you give them something interesting to read, do they come back to you afterwards and want to engage about it? You know, that, that's kind of the good scenario. The other scenario is they keep coming back to the same conclusion no matter what information they're presented with. I've seen that once or twice and it doesn't turn out well. And what do you think has been your best investment so far? Your most exciting one? Well, I mean, I guess my, my first company in which you know, it was bootstrapped for its first several years. And so I was able to hang on to a large piece of it. You know, so it happened a long time ago and it was before there were any VC blogs. It's before uh, there was so much knowledge circulating. And so we were blundering a lot around like a, like a bunch of idiots in, in, in the dark woods trying to figure things out. Uh, and it took a long time and lots of mistakes were made. You know, we, we, I could have sold that company before the first dot-com crash. And I remember taking those phone calls. I remember someone from Cisco called me and I said, you know what, call me back in a year or two because you know, I, th I think I'm, you know, this thing's growing fast. I don't want to sell yet. Call me then, let's talk then. And the market crashed and the whole thing nearly to zero. And it took us another eight years after that before the company exited. Oh, wow. Ultimately, you know, very good outcome, but this stuff is hard and, and it almost blew up along the way. And looking back, were there any hints that it was going to be such an, a successful investment. We were doing something we loved, so that's always a, a good thing. You know, yes. I, I'm one of those strange weirdos who thinks cybersecurity is really cool, <laughs> uh, and, and, we, and that's what we were doing. And, and we were early at what we were doing. Sometimes we were too early. The, the big danger that comes with doing something you love is that you might do it three years before the rest of the world cares. That can happen, but uh, hopefully you can recover when it does. Got it. And just now, let's go, like, if you don't mind me asking. Right now, everyone is talking about Web Web 3.0, okay? This is, like, the buzzwords. People, like, are calling their children Web point, Web 3.0. Yeah, like, people are getting tattooed, Web, web 3.0 everywhere. And yet, so now, if I'm an investor, and uh, how, what, do you have any suggestion for me? How can I approach founders and how can I learn exactly if they're going to be a success or not? Obviously, we're not expecting you to have the magic wand, but any suggestion for me that when I start investing in Web 3.0? Well, so I, I saw some data recently really interesting. If you look at how many people were using the internet in its early mm -hmm. days, I think the number started from 1998 and it went to like 2010 or something like that. If you take that graph and you overlay it on how many people are using blockchain or cryptocurrency, you start 2008 and you come to the present, they're the same curve. So that gives you a clue about where crypto adoption is going. It's going to be as ubiquitous as the internet is today. The curves are the same. That's the, that's the trajectory. And so you can think about, okay, if everybody had a crypto wallet, if everybody could do crypto transactions on a blockchain of the future where that costs one one hundredth of a penny and not $100 like it can on Ethereum today, what does that change? What does it change if everyone can do effectively instant, effectively free digital transactions? And if they can interact with smart contracts that do sophisticated things while doing that? That creates a huge number of possibilities. Okay, got it. And 
to be honest, like in your, let's say, in your opinion, obviously we, we know you go, you go no Magic Wong. When do you expect this to become mainstream? Like, is there any, like, you think in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? So if you look, probably we see the same graph of the adoption of blockchain compared to internet. And right now, we something somewhere around 2002. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something so like. you expect, you're expecting this to become mainstream in 10 years? Yeah, I, I think that's the curve. Uh, the, the, those two curves match almost perfectly. So if we're, if you think about, yeah, internet, early 2000s, you know, you still have to explain to people sometimes what a website was. Nobody had a smartphone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was a different time. Yeah. And we didn't, we, we didn't use to buy things online because we were scared of credit cards comes. Lots of people would say, I'm never going to buy anything online. There were famous companies saying, we're never going to do e-commerce. We don't believe that serves our customers well. We're just going to maintain our retail stores. I think, I think Victoria's Secret was a company that famously said that, and it darn near killed them. <laughs> so th that's the current. And, and yeah, uh, I don't think adoption will be faster than the uptake of the internet was. It seems to be about the same, and that means it does become ubiquitous. But sure, it's, it's going to take some time. Ooh. But you know, it's, it's not as if it's all or nothing. Once fifty percent of people are you know using uh, some kind of crypto every day. That's not probably evenly distributed across the population. In some customer segments, in some market segments, it's going to be 97%. And in yep. those segments, things will change first. You know, it's probably age-related. It's probably geographically linked. There's all kinds of stuff here. But when does your deal, where does your deal flow come? My deal flow, so I've tried a number of things. I've tried some of the online networks. Only one of those, and I won't say which one, but only one of those has produced interesting deals for me. I've tried some of the lo local angel groups, and all I'll say about that is I'm not interested in that anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, Rich, sorry. Rich, sorry. Can you explain to us, again, this is VC for stupid idiots. It's not VC yeah. for normal people. So can you uh, explain yeah. to us, stupid idiots, what does it mean, the network you were talking about in the first place? Okay. The, the, there are dozens of what are meant to be online marketplaces that, that pair companies with investors. I've only seen one that actually has quality companies in it. And I think what happens with a lot of the others is some kind of adverse selection. You get the companies that can't get funded any other way. They stick themselves on this website. And so good investors see that and they leave. And what comes in to replace them is bad investors. And so you end up with bad investors, which attracts bad companies, which attracts bad investors. And the whole thing becomes pretty much a waste of time. There, there is one that I've seen that manages to avoid that. Their mechanism is to invest alongside established VCs. So they are co-investors as opposed to deal leads. And the result is that much better companies come to them. Some very, very good companies come to them. And for investors like me, that becomes a way of accessing some very good companies. So I, I've, I've done some investing that way. And I've tried you know, local angel groups. In every city, you can find groups of angel investors, 100 people who meet once a month or something in a room, and companies come and pitch them. And I'm sure there are good ones somewhere on earth, but the ones I've had a lot of contact with I'm, I'm not so interested in anymore. I just haven't seen good deals there. It's too local. There's not enough concentration of expertise. Uh, there's no specialization. You know, if a company's in some area, ideally they want investors who get that. They don't want to explain it to people who've never heard of it before. And what you get in the angel groups is it's very horizontal. And so there's very little, very little kind of good uh, virtual circle feedback in some, some special area. But I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that I've, I've concentrated in cybersecurity and more recently crypto and blockchain, and I'm known for that. And so I get incoming deal flow. I get companies that just show up in my inbox. 
And some of those have turned out to be pretty interesting. I, I encourage companies to show up in my inbox. Yeah, that's so, right. So yeah, go for it. I was just going to ask you, when the companies pitch to you, mm-hmm. what are some of the common mistakes that they make? Yeah, the most common one. The one is, yeah. okay, guys, please stop. I guess there's a few of those. Um, so, sometimes you just see that people have come into some sector which is already competitive and they don't know what the competition is. They, they, they just don't know the space. They have a radical solution and they're approaching it you know, from, from outside. They've just sort of looked over, they've, they've peeked over the fence into some other area and they yeah. think they can revolutionize it. And they, and they don't show you that they understand what's already there. So that's a, kind of a big red flag for me. If someone says, I'm going to fix X, and they don't know what's already happening in X, how, how on earth can that possibly work? And another is in, in some areas, especially in FinTech and sometimes in EdTech, you see companies that they think the problem is the quality of available services. They think the problem is that they want to they raise the level of teaching or they want to, this happens in health tech too, they want to improve healthcare outcomes. People inside those sectors, they've already defined, you know, the, the professionals in those areas have been working together for hundreds of years to define what reasonable and, and achievable outcomes are. And for them, it's a cost problem, not a quality problem. It's how can you get to the outcomes that we already want without the degree of expenditure that currently goes into it? Startups come in saying, you know, we're going to teach the teachers how to teach. We're going to teach the doctors how to improve outcomes. We're going to try to raise the bar. That never works. It never works. <laughs> and then the professionals are standing there like, the, but the professionals I have an allergic reaction. They, they, the professionals don't want to hear about it. Yeah. They already know what a yeah. good outcome looks like. They want to maybe yeah. they want help getting there, but they don't want to be taught what a good outcome looks like. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So it seems to me that it's a classic outsider problem. It's like the uh, you know this this story of these two German VCs that got seed money from an investor because they invented a specific like tampon for girls. And obviously the the the, the, the critic was like, "What do you know about girls? You two guys, two white mate. What do you know about girls?" And that's the classic outsider uh, problem. So people from outside they think inside they have a problem but actually they don't and i guess if someone is an insider in the industry they probably wouldn't know about the competition no uh, know, and probably will know if it's a problem is a cost problem or a performance problem yeah yeah that, that, that's right i mean i, I like I, i'm not saying that you have to be a banker to fix banking you don't have to be yeah. an industry insider but you certainly have to know what the bankers are up to you you, you can't fix yeah. it if you don't understand what's already there yeah, yeah, 100%. And then obviously, like, so, yeah, there's a lot of people that have been outside doing great things, but they had insider information at a certain point. Yeah, and right. you either, dis- so you either discover them by work in a specific field, and this make you an insider, or by trying, 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 bashing your heads in the wall and a certain point, like, oh, okay, that's how it works. Uh, and you get it. But it's going to take a couple of years to understand these vibes. Absolutely right. And I like I'm a huge fan of outsiders. And if, if we're doing jokes or, or funny quips, there's a thing George Bernard Shaw once said. Uh, he said, only unreasonable people ever change the world. Everybody else yeah. just accommodates themselves to whatever whatever's already there. Unreasonable people insist that the world should accommodate itself to them. But then I'll go further on this. If you look at the average person, he's usually unhappy, sad, unsatisfied not actually grateful for their life so being an outsider is actually making a position that it will be it will be much easier to be happier in your life apart from success or anything so our time is over i'm gonna ask okay. you three super fast questions no, okay. i'm gonna ask you two fast questions you answer with one sentence one word one sentence or one word okay. or one word yeah 
Marianne, she will do the same after I finish my two questions. Okay. And then uh, we say hello. I don't know if Marianne go another last joke. Feel free. Try to make it really bad. I know, I know that's easy for us, but keep the level low. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, then we say hello. Say we'll say goodbye to our all our list, all three of them. Okay. So I'm ready. Okay, so I introduce you a person tomorrow, a founders. He will pitch you, and the very next day, he, you will call me up and say, Francesco, this was the best founder I've seen this year. What have he or she possibly have said to you? One sentence on one word. So that, that, that person has explained a brilliant new solution to a real problem that they have understood thoroughly. Got it. And what if I introduce you to the same person, but the day after you call me up and say, Francesco, this was absolutely disgusting. Don't call me anymore. We're not <laughs> friends anymore. What would this person would have possibly said to you? That person talked about a problem that doesn't matter or proposed a solution that you know has been tried 50 times and always fails. That, that's Got it. it. Marianne? Who is your biggest inspiration? My biggest inspiration. Wow. My dog. I love my dog. My dog. Oh, is I brilliant. like that one. Finally, <laughs> one for the dogs. Yeah, everyone yeah. keeps saying, "Yeah, my wife, my husband, you guys, shut up, the dogs." <laughs> you know, not a yeah. question. But I, I taught my dog to bring me a glass of red wine. It's wow. a Bordeaux, Holly. Nice. Yeah, this job is getting tough, Marianne. Like, guests, they don't smile. They don't laugh anymore. They don't even, like, trying to be nice to us. Yes. Wow. Look at this. Second question. Yeah. Second question. Okay. What, advice, okay. what advice would you give to other angels to be successful? Uh, invest in companies you understand. Makes sense. Got it. Cool. This has been absolutely great, Richard. Thank you so much for this. Thanks and so much, thanks Richard. To all our, thanks to all our listeners, all of you, Jack and Jill, for listening to us. And yeah, let's see in the next episode.